Love is a powerful thing. The most powerful force in the entire universe is not gravity or hurricane. It is love. Love. Good morning, everybody. It's really good to have you here again this morning. And again, if you are new this morning, we pray that you do feel that love, that you feel loved and welcome here, that you feel the love. Everybody say love. love. Oh, say it like you mean it. Say love. Love. That's what we're going to be talking about today is love. If you think about it, love, and I'm just, just to clarify, I'm not just talking about romantic love. We'll touch on that. But love in general is probably one of the most, if not the most, talked about topic, not only in church, but in culture, in our world, but maybe is often the most misunderstood. If you think about it, this word love that you saw in the video, everybody has a different idea of what love means to them, and that's great. But for us, even in our vocabulary, if you listen to yourself speak, we use this word love all the time, right? We say, I love, I love Netflix. I, I, love, I love donut holes, especially the ones with extra sugar on them, right? I love donut holes. We say, I love my spouse, and then almost in the next sentence, we say, I love tacos. Like, how does that work, right? We use this word love for a lot of different things. And it gets confusing about what it actually means. I went to, to YouTube this week, and I just typed in love is. And this is a screenshot of just what popped up. So we have love is, uh, love is here, 10th Avenue North, good song. Uh, love is the name. Uh, any Frozen fans out there? Love is an open door, right? Okay. Uh, I'm not going to try to sing that. Love is a, anybody, love is a battlefield. Anybody remember? Oh, wow. Now we're bringing it back. All right. Love is blind. Love is singular. That's odd. Uh, love is the name. Sophia Carson lyrics, of course. Love is an open door and love is blind. Uh, so a lot of different ways of understanding the word love. And it's not that any of those are bad or wrong. It's just when we throw this word around and we don't really think about what we're saying, it's easy for that word love to, to lose its weight, to lose its significance. So I wonder, how about you? How would you fill in that blank? Love is, you don't have to say it out loud. You don't have to raise your hand. Just think about it in your own mind. What's, what's your gut instinct? What's the first thing that comes to mind? What's on the top of your heart? Love is what? How would you fill in that blank? And chances are, if we went around the room today and I just went person by person, we would get 200 different answers. Love can mean a lot of different things, and yet we live in this world where love is often used for things that are not truly love. And how do we know that? Well, we know the author of love. We know the creator of love. We know the, <laughs> I said last night, I said the love doctor. That's an odd way to describe God as well, right? But he is, right? If you want to learn about love, wouldn't you go to the source? The one who not only created love, but the one that scripture says, God, says God is love. Love. Every emotion, every piece of affection or romance or friendship or compassion that you have ever felt for another human being or for God, he created. Isn't that an amazing thought? God is love. So if we're going to learn about what love actually means in this crazy mixed up world we live in, wouldn't it be helpful if we went to the source? So let's do that today. If you have your Bibles, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, awesome scripture that Julia read for us this morning. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is going to be at the way end of your Bible, all the way at the end. 1 Corinthians 13, and we're going to start in verse Four. If you have your uh, phone, you can take that out. Make sure you've got your Bible app open. We want you to follow along today as we dig into this. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 
4. If you're there, say, I'm there. there. All right. And we read, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes always perseveres. Now, I'm just going to stop right there because I need to say this. Some of you are sitting there going right now, this is the wedding scripture, right? Every wedding you've ever been to has 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in it, right? Some of you are sitting out there going, that was our wedding scripture, right? And let me hear you just say this. There is nothing wrong with that. That is great. This is one of my favorite passages, one of the, I think, the best passages in all of scripture because it gets right to the point. And yet we assume when we hear it, oh, I've heard that before. That's for bride and grooms. That's for a man and a woman on their wedding day, right? That's what, that's what that is about. And yes, absolutely it is, but I want to tell you today, it is so much more. Paul is getting to the end of his letter here, writing to the church in Corinth. That's where we get the book of First and Second Corinthians, two letters that he wrote to this church that he helped plant. And he's getting to the end of the letter, and he's had 12 chapters before this. So it's taken him a long time to get to the point. But just as any musician or artist is finishing up their masterpiece, or a composer is, is uh, writing a symphony, and the symphony's swelling to the end, something by Beethoven or Bach, and it's coming to this big crescendo and to the end, that's what Paul is doing here in verse 13. Verse, uh, chapter 13, and he says, So now let me show you a more excellent way. So Paul's saying, listen up, this is the point, everything has come down to this. And unfortunately, what a lot of couples do, I'll meet with them and they'll say, well, can we actually pull out verse 11? That's kind of the weirdo one, right? Can we just get to the love and the faith, hope, and love part because that's a good part? And we just kind of take out the other verses because they're kind of weird. And one of those weird verses is verse 11. Unfortunately, when you look at the context of verse thir- chapter 13, this is the point. Look at verse 11 with me. In fact, let's throw it up on the screen. Let's read this nice and loud together. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. So now most people read that and they say, oh, wait a minute. Thanks a lot, Apostle Paul. That's an odd verse to throw in the middle of this beautiful love poem, right? This was supposed to be my wedding scripture. Now we're talking about when I was a child and I grew up. And what, what does that have to do with love? Well, I hate to burst your bubble or blow your minds this morning, but 1 Corinthians 13 is not really about love. <gasps> yeah, love is a part of it. But you know what the point of loving like that is, what, why we're talking about love, why Paul is going on this long run about love is all these things. The point of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is about maturity. It's about growing up. And a part of growing up, not just physically, but a part of growing up spiritually, is learning a new way to live, is understanding what it means to live loved and loving Paul says, let me kind of frame it up for you. Paul says, when I was younger, both physically but also spiritually, when I was younger, I thought about the world in a certain way. Let me me just make it really, really clear. How many of you have different priorities in your life now than when you were 12? Anybody, right? Everybody, right? If you did, that would be odd and we would need to talk, right? Things change, right? Think about it a little deeper in 
in a spiritual sense. How many of you think about who you were before you met Jesus or before you came to faith or before you came a Christian? Are your priorities a little bit different now than they were then? Yeah, all of us, right? And some of you that are still on that journey, they're shifting. You can feel them changing. And that's what Paul is saying here in chapter 13. When I was younger, in my previous days, there was things that were of ultimate importance to me. What title I had at work, what position I had, how much power or popularity or or wealth or prestige that I have. And even in a spiritual sense, Paul was saying, I used to think I I was really good in the eyes of God because I was a really religious person. Because of all the, probably the Bible studies that I did and how much knowledge I had, and and you could frame it in a modern sense as well. Paul's saying because of my church attendance, because of how many Bible studies I've led or how obedient or religious I've been or how busy I've been at the church and how many things I've done for God. And he's saying, you know what? All of that pales in comparison. All of that is of meager importance because Paul's saying, now I'm getting to the end of my life. I've probably got a few years left. I'm getting up in years and I'm reflecting back on my life. And I realize the most important thing is love. It always has been and it always will be. The goal of the entire book of 1 Corinthians, the goal of our faith, the goal of our discipleship of following Jesus is being loved by the God who made you and extending that love to others. Now, some of you are saying, uh, Pastor John, duh, like it doesn't take a rocket science to, scientist to figure that out, right? I didn't take an hour out of my week for you uh, to stand up here and tell me that we should love each other, right? Like, I'm mind-boggling. I know, right? Some of you are like, it doesn't take a Bible scholar to figure out that it's about love, that that's the most important thing. However, I think the danger is that sometimes we actually think the point is to instead be a biblical scholar, When it comes to passages like this that are so straightforward, it seems, and so simple, it makes me think of conversations that I'll have from time to time with folks that are in the church, and they'll say things like, I just want to go deeper. You ever said that or thought that, maybe? I just want to go deeper, or, you know, my my small group's not deep enough for me anymore. I I was in this group once, but they just weren't deep, and I want to go deeper. I want to put on my my, my, my wading boots, and I want to go deep, you know? I want to go deep spiritually. My group's not deep enough for me, so I'm going to quit that group. Or my previous church wasn't deep enough for me, or that pastor wasn't deep enough for me. Or, or, so that's why I go and I listen to all these podcasts, because they're deeper. And, I, and I, that's fine, and that's good, because these people are hungry that are saying these things. But when I talk to them and I probe a little bit, what I find is that we have equated depth with information, with knowledge. And nowhere in the New Testament is being deep spiritually equated with how much you know up here. Is that a part of it? Absolutely. As Christians, we don't check our brains at the door. And yet what Paul is getting towards here is that how many Bible studies I've done or the depth of the curriculum does not determine the depth of your maturity in Christ. Instead, every time I hear somebody say, a group wasn't deep enough for me, or I really want to go deep, and I'm watching and I'm observing their life, then I just think about Paul saying, if I speak in tongues of men or angels, but I don't have love, I am a resounding gong or a claiming, clanging symbol.
that just over and over and over again, okay? Was that very loud? We should get a mic on that. That would just blow it, right? Paul says, that's what your life has become. If you think that depth is about all these other things, Paul is saying at at the end of the day, he says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries, and, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I got nothing. Paul says, if I give all I possess to the poor and I give my body over to hardship, if I serve and I give and I do all these things, but I don't have genuine, authentic love in my heart, I have nothing. I have nothing. This is coming from Paul, one of the smartest, most decorated Pharisees, biblical scholars, teachers of the law of all time, and he's writing towards the end of his life. And he says it's not really about church attendance. It's not about the depth of your Bible study and what book study or curriculum you're doing. It's not really about how religious or how obedient you've been. Paul says at the end of the day, if our hearts don't beat for the things that God's heart beats for, we are missing it. We are missing the point. If my relationship with God does not compel me absolutely compel me to walk out of these doors every single week and love people with a genuine and authentic compassion, I'm missing the point, Paul says. That when I try to witness and share my faith with people that don't know Jesus, and if I'm not leading with love, if I'm leading with I want to be right or I want to convince you of something, your life sounds like that over and over. It's a pretty harsh statement, but Paul's trying to make the point how important love is is. One of the deeper things that I saw this week was we kicked off our WizKids program here on Thursday nights, which is our kind of after-school program for neighborhood kids in the area that are coming from difficult, troubled homes and in a lot of different ways. And they came here. We had over 30 kids the first night, and they came running in, and I was getting ready to leave, and they were doing their reading time. And I'm walking around the building, and almost in every room of this building, There are dozens of our adult volunteers spread out everywhere, reading one-on-one with kids. Because, you know, we've been talking about it for a long time. We've been talking about the importance of loving kids and taking time and being fully present with people. And I walked out of the church that night going, now that's deep. I saw some people scrubbing the floors upstairs this morning after breakfast. And I went, now that's deep. Because chances are, nobody's ever going to thank him for that. Once in a while, after worship on a Sunday, I'll see a couple of you gather up here towards the front. Maybe somebody's crying or having a difficult week, and, and I watch people stop and go over and put their arm around them and pray for them before they rush off with their busy day. And I go, that's deep. You see what I'm saying here? That there, there's a way that we can actually live as followers of Jesus and do Bible study and be unfaithful to the scriptures if our study of the scriptures never gets us out of our seat and out into the streets. One of the, the most challenging questions, if you are in a small group or you're in a life group or even in your own personal devotional study, what I want to challenge you with is end your study every single week by asking one question. This will just transform your Bible study, your small group. Just at the end of your Bible study, okay, we've prayed, prayer requests, we've had our donuts and cookies and juice or whatever we have, and then just ask this question. What would it actually look like if we went and did what we just read about? Oh, 
No, Pastor John, no, we're doing this awesome study on prayer and everything, but we, we're, I, we're all a little nervous. It's not really our, we're not actually going to go and pray for people. Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah, we're doing this really awesome study on like compassion and social justice and the study of how you know, God traced you know, back from all the Old Testament and the New Testament and how we're called to go and serve and get out of our comfort zone and reach out to those in need, everything like that. But, but we, we don't actually like do that. That's for other Christians. Oh, we have this great study on the 12 disciples of Jesus and how Jesus invested them and he poured their life in, his life into them and he raised them up as leaders and he taught them and he spent his life together with them and he mentored them and he coached them. And it's like, oh, that's great. That's awesome. So you're doing that? Well, no, it's just good things to think about as Christians. I want to challenge us once in a while. I'm going to let you off the hook here. Once in a while, I think your Bible study should turn into a Bible doing. Become a Bible doing. Have your group get out of the living room, get out of the church building, and go do a Bible doing one night. Skip Bible study. This is your pastor telling you to skip Bible study for the night and say, what would it look like if we actually did this? Let's not be unfaithful to the scriptures in our study of the Bible. The goal of discipleship is love. And so that begs the question, what does that actually look like? When you think about it, what is love? How would you fill in that blank? What is love? If we're going to do 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love according to Scripture, how exactly do we do that? So I was thinking about this all week, and I thought about that question, what is love? And I kid you not, here I am in deep theological study for my sermon, and I ask the question, now what is love? And the very first thing that pops into my head, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Everybody just kind of take your head and just bob a little bit, right? Okay, that's enough. So, <clears throat> if you've ever wondered what the pastor's doing during sermon prep, what is, here's the thing about that song. That's just like totally weird. They never answer the question. Four minutes of what is love and then baby don't hurt me, baby don't hurt me, baby don't, we get it, right? We never answer the question. The great thing about the scripture is that we get to answer the question of what is love and it's not baby don't hurt me. There's actually three things I want to point out. So if you're taking notes, see now you're going to remember the sermon, right? It's going to be in your head the whole day. You're welcome, Right? Baby, don't hurt me. What is love? Number one, it's action. We just talked about that. There's three things. Number one, love is action. We don't want to just be here as the word. We want to do it. Love is action. Love is a much better verb than a noun. It's not a stagnant thing. It's something we do. It's not love unless we take action. Number two, love is messy. Love is messy. You spend any time in any relationship as a, a parent, a, in marriage, in dating, in friendship, as siblings, and certainly for those of you that have young children, is love messy? Yeah, yeah like literally love is messy, right? Love is messy both figuratively and literally. Love is messy. And why is love messy? Any kind of love. It's because love involves 
risk. Love involves putting yourself out there, and the risk is that other person or group of people may not return that love. And so intrinsically, love involves vulnerability. I can't love unless I'm opening myself up and being vulnerable because there's the chance you might get rejected. Who do you think knows that better than anybody else? Our God, who sends his son to the earth. He's sitting up in heaven, in his comfort in heaven, and you'd think there'd be a better way to save the world, but instead he steps right down into the middle of our broken, sinful, messy world. John chapter 1, verse 14. So the word became flesh and made his home among us. He came into the very world that he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. So Jesus knows exactly what it feels like to be rejected when you put yourself out there, but he comes anyway, and he's walked in our shoes, and he touched lepers, and he befriended outcasts, and he loved the adulterers, and people with, just like you and I, with completely messy lives. There are certainly a lot cleaner, easier ways that Jesus could have saved the world, but that would not have been real love, because here's the thing about love. You can't fake it, right? I mean, you can, but you can sniff that out pretty easy. Either you love or you don't. It's messy. Often I'll meet people that are new to our community, and they, like a lot of people that are here at Hope Des Moines, they're here because they want to serve. Because of the large amount of outreach that we do and serving people and getting into people's lives, and like, I want to be a part of that, people say. Maybe that's you. I want to make an impact. I want to have significance. And so we plug them in and we get them connected and they start serving in a variety of ways that we have here reaching out to people that are in need in a lot of different ways. And so oftentimes, sometimes, they'll come back a few weeks or a month later and they'll say, this is hard. I mean, this is really inconvenient for me. You'd have me serving these people, and sometimes they don't say thank you, and sometimes it's, it's messy, literally, and the, the, the kids that I was serving, they don't listen, and they're disrespectful, and they don't, they don't listen, and, and they don't appreciate me, and, and this outreach uh, project that our small group did, it took a lot longer than we wanted to. I got home a half an hour. I'm just exaggerating now, right? It was very inconvenient for my schedule, they say. And I say, yeah. Yeah, it probably was. Because that's what it means to love. That's what it means to serve. And that's not to shame people, because I've felt that way the last eight years of doing ministry here. It's just, it's hard. It's hard. And it just points to this reality that love is messy. I love this quote by uh, author and leader Shane Claiborne. Uh, who works with the homeless in, in Philadelphia, and he says this, everybody wants to start a revolution. Nobody wants to do the dishes. <laughs> like, if there was a statement that summed up our ministry here at Hope Des Moines, it's that, except for the fact that you do the dishes because you're an awesome church, and you get that. You get that serving is not convenient. Serving is often hard and difficult and messy, but in the end, it's totally worth it. Amen? It's totally worth it, and that's why we're here, and that's why you're here, because you do the dishes. Often we think that because a concept is simple, that then it should be easy, like love. Oh, simple, love, right? Hardest thing in the world to do. 
It's inconvenient and it requires us to move outside of ourselves and we're learning how to do that, both as a church family, as, as parents, as kids, as in your small group you're doing that and I'm learning how to do that as a parent a lot of times and that was the case for me a few weeks ago. So <laughs> Tiffany is out of town on a trip and so I am doing the parenting thing by myself. It is dad zone. So we have a one-year-old and a three-year-old, and God has given them the spiritual gift of, right? I don't know, whatever that is, but they have a lot of it. They have a lot of energy. And so I'm like prepping myself the whole week before Tiffany leaves. I'm like, I got this. I'm a great dad. I'm a great parent. So I'm getting everything prepped ahead of time, getting myself mentally psyched up. I'm getting their clothes all laid out for the weekend. And Tiffany got their clothes laid out for the weekend, and I'm like, man, I should get some food prep for them, so I have different meals planned, and so Tiffany prepped all their meals before she left, and so I'm like, I am ready. I'm a great dad. I'm going to do this. I'm going to rock this. She literally leaves, and like two hours later, all of a sudden, Caleb gets these red spots all over his body. I'm like, what? This isn't supposed to happen. This is dad zone, right? Nothing goes wrong in dad zone, right? And they, he starts itching him, and he's uncomfortable, and he's cranky. And then all of a sudden, after a whole year of being in our house, Evie, our one-year-old, decides that she has a personality, which includes <laughs> sass and lots of strong opinions. So she's freaking out. She's crying. He's crying. So I'm like, well, I'm alone. I got to take him to the urgent care clinic in Urbandale or whatever. So there I go. I haul him off. Getting the kids into their car seats at this stage, parents, you know, is like a WWE wrestling match. Get in your seat. And so we're in there. We finally get to the clinic. I park on the wrong side of the clinic and I park in a doctor's only parking spot because I'm like, this is weird. And so then we walk all the way around. So I'm carrying the kids like this. I'm literally sweating, uh, and I get to the front, to the registration desk, to the clinic there, and we check in, and I'm like, it's the end of the day, it's not going to take long at all, we'll probably get in in 10 minutes, and at the end of the, the check-in process, I go, so just, can you give me a ballpark of how long it might take? She's like, oh, we're looking between 75 and 80 minutes. This is awesome, because you know what awesome dad forgot? Any food, any diapers, any baby wipes, any toys. 80 minutes of pure joy. So there we are in the waiting room, and my son is literally climbing up the fish tank, the aquarium. He is launching himself off of the lobby chairs, falling onto people. Evie's freaking out and crying, crawling over the floor. Caleb just about goes back uh, into the clinic with the doctor without him knowing. I yank him out of there. He is going nuts. He is yelling at me. He's hitting me, and I'm just feeling the judgment of every parent in that lobby. Just parents, you know this, just raining down on you, right? I'm like, I'm a pastor, I got this. We pray for you. I have zero patience right now, right? And so we finally get back there. It's just like an allergic reaction or something, but the kids are freaking out. We go to Walgreens to pick up the prescription for the cream we gotta put all over his body now. We go and I'm like, okay, the, the, the worst is over. I'm standing there getting the prescription and I hear this crash behind me. And this six-foot-tall kiosk of hearing aids is toppling over my three-year-old son, and he's going, wow, this is awesome, right? They are all over the floor in the pharmacy at Walgreens, and everybody's just going, oh, my word. Who is this kid's father, right? All over the place. So every screaming, crawling down the aisles at Walgreens. I'm getting my prescription. Everybody feels terrible for me, I'm sure, and I'm picking up hearing aids. We finally get back into the car. The kids are screaming. I'm driving home, and then it's quiet. Evie's sleeping, and I realize I've got this like two or three-year-old VBS CD playing in the car, 
And the kind of the slow song for that year that all the kids kind of knew the sign language to, that Caleb was like one when this CD came out. And yet we've been playing it in our car, and it's just quiet. And all of a sudden, I can hear the quiet song, and it's Jesus, he loves me, he loves me, he is for me. And I look back, and this kid that has been World War III in his car seat for the last three hours is doing the actions, singing it with tears streaming down his face because he's so uncomfortable. He's singing, Jesus, he loves me, he loves me, he is for me. (laughs) And in that moment, I turn around and I look at Caleb after a disaster of a day. Dad fail, hashtag dad fail, completely. And I look back at my three-year-old son who's doing these actions, and I say, hey, buddy, did dad do okay today? And he goes, yeah. (laughs) And I just felt like in that moment, God say, love is messy. And it wouldn't be messy unless you cared. Because isn't marriage messy too? And parenting's messy. And being in your small group is messy. And being a part of a church is messy. Because you can have a disaster of a day. And at the end of the day, you look back at the person that you're in relationship with. And you say, I wouldn't have it any other way. I would do a thousand days like this for that moment of you knowing that your Father in Heaven loves you. Like, totally worth it. Totally worth it. Love is messy, but it's totally worth it. And maybe, I don't know, parents, maybe... There's a nugget in that story for you today that you just need to hear God say, you're doing a great job. It may have been a disaster of a week that you're coming off of. You're a great parent because you're not alone. And you're a great parent even if you have grown kids and you're a great parent if you're a grandparent today because God's working through you. Love is action, love is messy, and last but not least, love is commitment. Love is commitment. And I know to kind of wrap things up, I'm like, oh, John, couldn't you come up with something I don't know, a little more flashy, a little more exciting, like love is like romance and feelings and goosebumps and love is adventure and beauty and romance. I'm like, yeah, you know, it's all those things. But after having two kids and being married for a while, I'm just realizing, you know, those things kind of come and go, don't they? Especially feelings when it comes to love. And maybe I'm just getting older. I've had the opportunity to talk to a lot of couples here at Hope Des Moines specifically that have been married for 20, 30 40, even 50 years, and I start talking to him like, how does this work? Like, there are some days where it's hard for Tiffany and I to look at each other. I'm so mad at you, but I'm so in love with you. And I'm like, how do you make this work for 50 years? And the overwhelming theme that I hear over and over and over again from these couples is commitment. This unwavering commitment, like no matter what happens, love means I'm not going anywhere. And so I talked to younger couples. I've talked to some couples that have been married for a year or five years or 10 years or 15 years or whatever it is, which is still relatively young. And, and they've lost that spark. You know what I'm saying? Like the feelings have left and that initial physical attraction that you had when you were 21 is not quite what it used to be because we change, right? We look different. And when you lose that spark and then the feelings come and go and I see marriages start to drift, And I cannot help but think, you know what's sexy? You know what's hip? 
faithfulness. Amen? Like husbands and wives that husbands and wives that continue to pursue each other long after you're married. Like they act like they're dating and they've been married for a long time. They continue to pursue each other and they put God number one. Because you know what amazing thing happens, those of you that are married today? When you put God first, like Amanda talked about a couple weeks ago, you put that big rock in first, you make him the prior of your life, then the romance comes. Then the physical attraction comes. Then the adventure comes. Then the beauty comes because you're putting first things first. And if I'm in a loving, committed relationship, I don't have to go looking to other people. I don't even have to think about going and being in a relationship with somebody else because I got all the freedom in the world because there's commitment. Love is safety. Love is commitment inside that relationship. If you think about it, those types of relationships, you don't get to that depth, whether it's a marriage or a friendship or your small group, you don't get into those kind of relationships despite ups and downs. You become deep in those types of relationships because of ups and downs. So another way of describing it, you might call these type of relationships crockpots. Yes, crockpot relationships. I never thought I would get to have my wife's crockpot on stage for a sermon, but there it is, right? What do we know about crockpots? They take a really long time, but is it totally worth it in the end? Yes. How many of you went to college and lived on microwave food for four years, right? You know what I'm saying? I mean, this was me, right? And it tasted like it right? And then a couple years ago, we got hooked on crockpot meals. So we do this all the time, and I'm notorious for like halfway through the crockpot session going in and going, you know, doing some of that because it's so good. But here's the thing. If you wait and you let it simmer and you wait and you're patient and you put time and intentionality and focus into it, it is totally worth it in the end. Crockpot type of relationships. And if that's the point in like marriage, why would that type of relationship be any different when it comes to life groups in relationship with the people that you're sitting around here today? Love cannot be microwaved in any type of relationship. Think about who are the people that you're closest to in your life. Are they the person that you met yesterday? Are they the person that you saw here at church last week and you're sipping coffee and you go, Right? As Lutherans, sometimes that's about as far as it gets, right? We're not close with that person. It hasn't simmered for a while. It's not a, it's not a crockpot type of relationship. And the reason I bring this up today is because here we are. You've got this handout on your chair. We're encouraging you to get into a life group, to join a small group. And, and some of you are thinking, I, I am so busy. The last thing I have time to do is to be in a group. And that's not why we're doing it, because you think one more, you th- need one more thing to do. We're not doing it because we don't think that you have other relationships outside of church. We're encouraging you to get into Christian community specifically because of passages like this. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful. It always endures every single circumstance. And there is no way that you can learn to love like that sitting in a row in worship once a week. That type of love is crockpot type of love. 
Those, that type of Christian community is crockpot type of community. It takes time and focus and intentionality. You know what's deep? Is some of our small groups that have been meeting for six or seven years, and they show up every single week, no matter how busy their schedule is, or what season of their life they're in, or how many kids they have to shuttle around, and they make it a priority because they know they were created for it. That's why we're telling you to do it today. That's why we're challenging you to do it, because you can't love like that, seeing somebody for a couple minutes a week. It takes time, it takes doing life together, and that's why we call them life groups. I, I, I hear people say all the time, I want to be in community, I want that depth, I want to be known, and I, I'm saying this too, this is me talking as well. I want depth, I want to be known, I want to be accepted, I want to find people that I have shared interests with, that I can have fun with, and grow in God's word with. I want to find other people here at the church that I can be in community with, that aren't going to judge me for what I did last week. And let me just say this, that's available That's the offer today that Jesus has for you, is to find that type of community. But I'm afraid of what we've done in our culture where everything is at our fingertips and it's immediate and it's higher download speeds and I wanted immediate gratification, fast, 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 fast. We've taken our idea of a small group or Christian community and we've stuck it in the microwave and zapped it and yet we expect crockpot-like results. Intimacy. Depth, safety, honesty can only be done with time and intentionality in Christian, Christ-centered community where we're sharing the most deep and important things about our lives. Don't get me wrong. I love the world we're living in. I love Facebook. I appreciate Facebook. I appreciate Twitter and Instagram and the way that we use them for ministry, that I use them for ministry, they are great. And yet I was reading this article this past week about social networking and and online community, and the guy was just cautioning us with a few things. And he said this, specifically with Facebook, which I'm sure none of you use. It's this new fad. (laughs) He said, a danger is that it makes us really good at storytelling and dismal at story living. We have become so obsessed with posting the highlights of our life that we don't make time to do life and community and live in relationship with people in between the highlights on your Facebook feed. And our challenge for you today, and the challenge I'm giving to myself, I'm at the front of the line, is that maybe we spend a little bit less time sharing the highlights on our feed, and we spend with a thousand people that we may never know, and we spend a little bit more time investing in three, four, five, six quality Christ-centered relationships that are going to help you become the person that you were created to be. Take a step today. Look at that card. Pray about it. Back at the Welcome Center today, there's a brand new listing of all of our life groups. Every single night of the week, almost, day and night, there is a life group. There is no excuse. There's no reason you can't do this because we make time for the things that are important that we want to grow in. So love is action. Love is messy. Love is commitment. But at the end of the day, if it's, it's not something we can manufacture on our own. When I meet with couples for premarital counseling and they say, we're going to have 1 Corinthians 13 as our big verse there at our wedding, and I look at them, 
and should see the look on their faces. Sometimes I just kind of having some fun and I say, that is absolutely impossible. You will never be able to love each other like that. And they're like, what? On your own. On your own strength, you're never gonna be able to love each other. Like, you're never gonna be able to love your kids, you're never gonna be able to love your parents, your grown parents, you're never gonna be able to love your small group like that if you're trying to manufacture it on your own. Instead, no, we go to the source. We go to the God who is love. And the first step in learning how to love, like 1 Corinthians 13, is letting yourself be loved. And for some of you, that is the hardest thing in the world because you don't even like yourself. If you're honest, there are some of you that are here today that when you look at yourself in the mirror, you don't even like what you see. And yet learning and growing in maturity as a follower of Christ is looking at that person staring back at you in the mirror and learning to see yourself as your heavenly father sees you, which is he is delighting over you and rejoicing over you. Jesus, he loves me. He loves me. He is for me. He absolutely is for you. Love can be complicated and messy, but it is not hard to find. In fact, love is all around you today. The love of God is right here for you today. And maybe for some of you, it's time to let it all the way in. Even if you've been going to church your entire life, let it all the way in today. To know that you are loved. I want to end with this short clip. I was watching movies a couple years ago and I was watching this random movie called Love Actually, which I think is a chick flick and I have no idea why I was watching it, but I, the beginning was so good, the first minute. So listen to the voiceover and be reminded that love is a very powerful thing. Let's take a look. Love is all around and it's closer than you think this morning. You know, the song never answers the question, what is love? And yet, Scripture makes it abundantly clear in 1 John chapter 4, this is love. This is the love that is available for you today to receive. This is love, 1 John chapter 4. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. If you're ever wondering what love is, look no further than an old Roman cross where the ultimate expression of love was paid. The God who made you gave his life for you so that you would never doubt if you are loved, if you are valued, and if there is a plan for your life. You are loved. Love is all around you and this love is so powerful that it's the most powerful force in the universe and it is worth responding to. So instead of just talking about love today, it's only appropriate that we respond and worship to God's love. So let's stand together and the band's going to lead us in this song as we celebrate the love of God poured out for us on the cross. Let's sing together.